This podcast is sponsored by NeedApp, a leading global technology innovator, providing the most reliable activity monitors, animal ID solutions, and more. Smart tags powered by NeedApp work as a silent herdsman for you, running 24 hours a day to find your cows in heat, provide data on rumination, and alert you when they are sick. From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Hi, all, and welcome back to The Dairy Show. We are traveling to South Dakota today to talk with Rodney Elliott, an owner of Drum Goon Dairy. So welcome to The Dairy Show, Rodney. Yes, thank you, Kitty. Okay, we are going to start with having you share a little bit more about yourself. What's your connection to agriculture outside of the farm ownership, or how did you get to this point? Well, it's been a long journey, Kitty. Um, So as people can probably tell by my accent, I'm not local to South Dakota. Grew up in Northern Ireland on a beef cow farm uh, and uh, always had a passion for dairy farming. I made a vague association with dairy farming and wealth through my friendships in the Young Farmers Clubs, which is like FFA over there. And all of my friends uh, who were uh, dairy farmers' sons seemed to have better pickups and better equipment than we had. So I thought that maybe if we were to become a dairy farm, we would have some of those nice things. And uh, so that's where I started off. My dad wasn't keen on the idea of being a dairy farmer, but he wasn't going to hold me back. So I became a dairy farmer on my own rights back when I was 18 years old and started milking 25 cows. Wow, that's that's a, a nice start. So where did you go after Ireland or how did you end up in the United States? So, yeah, as I say, starting with with 25 cows, I enjoyed the next 20 years of my dairy career in, in Ireland, um, growing cow numbers expanding the farm, uh, taking over more of the land from my dad as he sort of moved into retirement. And uh, so that was a great journey, very rewarding, great pride in what I was doing. But when I got to the level of 140 cows in Ireland, which is a pretty large herd for Ireland, I couldn't see the next step forward that made financial sense. It was just going to be too difficult. Remember at that level, I was doing probably all of the things myself, you know, and uh, I just couldn't make the numbers add up for the next crisis. So came a little bit restless, maybe a midlife crisis or whatever it was, started looking for other places to farm. Um, you know, all this was done with the family in mind, my wife, Dorothy, and our three children. And uh, I wanted to have something that my sons, if they were going to be dairy farmers, weren't going to have to milk cows twice a day, seven days a week for months and months and months at a time. I had done it and I enjoyed it, but I thought there has to be more to life than that. So that took us all over the world, I guess, and a virtual tour. We considered going to New Zealand and Australia and that style of of grassland farming didn't really appeal to me. Out there, we looked at uh, France and I would have loved France, but it's very difficult to buy land and own land in France. Uh, other parts of the United Kingdom, again, we were just probably finding a farm that was larger than what we had, but with the same sets of problems. So I decided then to read an ad saying that 
South Dakota wanted dairy farmers. And I thought, well, I'll go on that trip and see what's out in South Dakota and see if that's something that I find appealing. So I guess that's what led us here to to finding South Dakota. And in total, we traveled for two years about six, seven times to find somewhere where we liked, to find a school district we were happy with, and find a home for our family, find a site that we could build our farm, getting our, our cows and our farm sold back in Ireland and moving the whole family across the ocean. So it was quite a journey. How did your farm in Ireland fit into the, the greater picture of Irish dairies at the time, or, or maybe what even what year was that? I suppose that whole thing started with the trip to South Dakota was the spring of 2004. Uh, we had a, a very nice farm in Ireland, and I ended up actually selling it to my sister and her husband, who continue to use it as a dairy farm today. So it's great that we can still go back there. At that time, Ireland had... Um, or the United Kingdom, we were parts of Northern Ireland in the United Kingdom. Quotas were now starting to, to move away. In all that uh, 22 years I talked about, we farmed under milk quotas. So you were very restricted in how you could grow. You had to buy quota in order to grow your farm. Uh, and I could see a future of when quotas left, there was going to be a lot of expansion, a lot of pent up need to expand and grow family farms probably and did end up leading to a large oversupply and low prices for many years. Uh, so I thought it was probably a good time to leave. There was becoming more and more and continues to be more and more regulations on agriculture in Europe. So some of them are sensible, some of them are really difficult to understand why we have to do what we have to do. And they seem to be just putting hurdles in front of, of farming and particularly trying to put hurdles in front of farmers who want to expand and grow and do better for themselves. And that's really what I've always been about. Like a lot of farms, even today in the US, we were very asset rich and very cash poor. So we were sitting on a, on a, on a good bunch of cash or a good bunch of assets that when we brought them to the States allowed us to milk a lot more cows. Um, and then the other one, I suppose, that was was a driver in that was the public opinion of ag in general in Europe. Um, farmers are viewed as being supported by the taxpayer uh, and supported by subsidies. And by and large, they are because we have a policy of cheap food and um, the, probably your cost of production is often more than the cost of the product. So you live on a lot of subsidies and we've had uh, you know, different names and different varieties of subsidies over my career farming in Europe. But the public view that very much as these asset rich group of people getting supported by taxpayers. So you weren't really the public's friend. And that was you know, something that I found very refreshing when we came to the States that ag and farmers in general were, were well treated and well viewed by public opinion and by, especially in rural communities like the Midwest, where, where really people knew they were the backbone of the society that you moved into. So, um, yeah, and even with all that being said, you know, still back in Northern Ireland or in Ireland in general, there are lots of really, really great dairy men, really good friends of mine that uh, are still making Ireland work for them and their families and still produce milk and, and do well. And it's, uh, and many of those are mentors of mine even today. So, What does 
agriculture look like in the part of South Dakota that you landed in? And where geographically for listeners are you located in the state of South Dakota? So Eastern South Dakota, I-29 corridor, as it's called, we're somewhere between Brookings and Watertown. So Central Eastern South Dakota is where we ended up. It's not dairy country. You know, there are dairy cows here, but predominantly it's corn and soybean country. Uh, beef cows, probably 2 million beef cows in the state of South Dakota and 160,000 dairy cows. So it's really, there's dairy farms here uh, and a lot of large dairy farms here. I think we're down to like 160 dairy farms in the whole state or maybe even less than that today. Uh, so a lot of dairy farms, two, three, four, up to 10,000 cows in uh, South Dakota. So it's a young, exciting dairy industry. Uh, we have some really new, uh, efficient dairy farms, and we have some really new, efficient dairy processing. So I think we're in a good position uh, as a dairy state with development and growth. Uh, the last 15 years that we've been here, we've seen the development of that dairy industry probably doubled in cow numbers or getting close to that. Uh, we've seen the infrastructure grow, so it's now probably easier to source equipment and supplies and repairs than it was 15 years ago because these industries have grown up around a growing and expanding dairy industry. I think we have um, a friendly state and county government to ag, which is very encouraging. You know, you can meet the local officials and they understand your problems and they, they are sympathetic to your needs. And uh, we also have good access to capital. You know, the banking industry has evolved a little bit, the dairy bank industry, that they understand that large dairies are can be profitable, can be growth orientated, and they're very supportive of that. So big difference from Ireland, for example, to the US was the access to capital, access to bankers who understood your industry and uh, they had great ways of measuring how you performed in that industry as opposed to others. I, I imagine that makes a, a world of difference. And you mentioned young, exciting dairies. And let's talk about Drumgoon, which is your place. What does Drumgoon Dairy look like? What does it all entail? Uh, 15 years ago, it was a soybean field, you know. Uh, and uh, my wife actually was the one that traveled over here, uh, found the site and bought the site. And uh, I think until we, I actually got time to travel over and see it. Uh, it was a great strain on our marriage to make sure she hadn't made a huge mistake. But we bought a very good site where it located along uh, a US highway, Highway 81, which is a wonderful place to be for the amount of traffic that comes in and out of the dairy. And uh, so we bought a quarter of land, 160 acres of land in 2005. Uh, and built a greenfield site, which is a wonderful opportunity for any dairy farmer to do. Start with a blank sheet of paper. And we built a barn for 1,400 cows in 2006 and started milking cows. At that stage, we had the 150 acres of land and we were following a fairly proven system of using local calf raisers and local heifer growers to grow our heifer operations and buying most of all our feed from local crop farmers. Uh, today, the site has developed. It's still on the same 160 acres. Uh, we're now 6,100 cows. We have three different 
milking sites on the same uh, operation. It's not by any means ideal, but it's we as we developed it, it's the way it's ended up. Uh, so we milk in two large milking parlors and two dairies, cross-ventilated barns, and then a new addition, which is our 20 robotic, uh, 20 boxes milking with robots in a new barn milking 1,500 cows. We're 50, 55 plus employees. Uh, we now own 1,400 acres of land uh, that, again, probably only grows a fraction of what are 30% of our feed requirements. We're now part owners in a large heifer calf development ranch down in southwest Kansas in Deerfield, Kansas, together with probably another 35, 40 farms. Uh, together, we raise about 60,000 dairy heifers and calves down there in southwest Kansas. And uh, one of the interesting things, I think, and one of the things we're proudest of is we're now three years antibiotic-free on our lactating cows at Drumgoon. So we spend a lot of effort on hygiene, on cleanliness, on training of our staff, on understanding how we can do things better for our cows in the terms of bedding, ventilation, welfare, uh, cow comfort. And um, we do that with the view that we can probably fix more for a cow with a brush and shovel than we can with an injection needle. And then on the staff side of things, I think that's probably where we've concentrated most of our energy or most of our time in the last four or five years. So we spend a lot of time training and building teams. Uh, We use management consultants, financial consultants uh, to help strengthen our business. Uh, We've done strengths finding on our teams. We're very keen and have participated in what's called lean in agriculture which is a system that is used to make sure our farm is run efficiently. So weekly management meetings are a must. Weekly meetings for each of the teams is very very much a must. Clear and precise org charts so everybody knows who they're reportable to. And, and the goals are to have a safer, better environment for the employees that work on the farm. Rodney, I think we could talk to you every week on this podcast and still have something new to talk about. There is so much happening there that is, I think, a positive for the dairy industry in terms of your management. I want to ask before we get into the the data and the robots, because that is kind of what we planned we would talk about today. Tell me about the decision to go antibiotic-free. Was that a choice that you made as a farm owner, or is that something that you were feeling some pressure from processors in the area to make that change? Well, to be honest, Katie, we're like every other farm. Uh, We were culling 1,800 cows a year, I think is what we were at that stage, uh, selling those cows live on the farm, uh, doing a really good job, I thought, on recording treatments, on recording withdrawal periods of, of times on cows, making sure we did a really good job on our end of things and and had been going along nicely. And then suddenly you get notification that you've had a cow go to slaughter that has got antibiotic residues. And I'm sure some of our listeners have been in this situation and then you get visits from the department and from the veterinary services and you get all kinds of questions to ask. And I was kind of really proud of what we did. We had really good paper records, really good computer records and the cow in question had definitely done her withdrawal period. And I kind of went into this meeting with the department officials 
thinking we'd get a rap on the knuckles and we'd be fine. And they agreed that we had excellent records, but they still put the farm on probation for a year and said, if you have another incident like this, you will then be on public record. And then you know the consumer has every right to look up and say, if there's cheese or meat coming from Drum Green Dairy, I don't want to buy it on Walmart. And Walmart had the right to say to our supplier, our producers, that we're not taking your product. So it's kind of scary. We were spending a lot of sleepless nights worrying about it. I decided that, you know, maybe it was something we could do. We had gone to a couple of farms and seen what they were doing, doing similar things. And uh, I thought, yeah, we can do this. So did a, a kind of an audit of antibiotic use and found that there was a few things that scared us. We were oversubscribing antibiotics and it was sometimes when the, we'd say, why are we having heifers uh, die, fresh calved heifers die, the guys would then start treating all fresh calved heifers and then the next two months they'd treat very few and then we'd ask the question again. So I said, look, we've got to do something better than what we're doing. Realizing that we were going to save a lot of money by doing this and a lot less sleepless nights, I decided to invest quite a bit of money in the infrastructure of the farm and the cow comfort and the ventilation in just in everything in general, trying to make everything better for the cow. That's a, a perfect lead into because the robot barn that you built with the 20 robots, that's brand spanking new. Tell us about that facility and what kind of information are you gathering in that barn that's maybe different than your other two parlors or other two facilities on that site? How, how do those differ? Well, it's different style of dairy farming for sure. You know, we're now letting the cow make a lot of her own decisions and we're using technology to do a job more consistently than probably humans are doing it. So it's a different style, different mentality altogether in dairy farming. The data that we're using, I think there's a lot of difference in how you would manage a robot if you were running 60 cows yourself and how you would manage 20 robots. So we still have a little bit of a large herd mentality that you know we'll treat them as a pen as opposed to maybe individual cows. So a little bit like my iPhone, a kitty i'm probably using 10 or 15 percent of the data that is out there but it's targeting the data to the staff that are running it and to our needs and i think we'll get better at it as we learn more but right now that's how we kind of run it probably not using as much as we should but enough to get us the information we need to run the herd rather than maybe the individual cow so a lot of uh, training again with the teams when we purchased the robots we purchased a right to send people off to classes in Kansas City and so on and so forth to learn about data and robot maintenance. And of course, COVID came in and all those classes were cancelled or not happening. So we had to do some of it remotely. We had to do some of it on site and uh, we had to learn some of the lessons the hard way. But we've pretty high and lofty goals on these robots. Our goals are to milk 1,500 cows with 20 robots, so that's 75 cows per robot. Our goal is to get our turnover of cows down below 25%, and even though we're six months into it, I think indications are that we can achieve that. And another goal was we were going to run this place with two people on a shift, so two people on the day shift and two people on the night shift, and we're definitely achieving that. It's all about getting the right people 
in charge and getting the right cows into the pens that the robots can, can do their work. The robots are fine. It's just the human element of it, I think, is the problem. And what data points are you pulling out of the robots that you're using to monitor? Like, what are the, yeah, the types of categories? So it has to be snapshot. It has to be something. Remember, we're still running 5,000 other cows on the farm. I have to use, there's a monitor board that I use on the robots. Basically, it's a snapshot of what has happened in the last 24 hours. If I see all my dials pointing in the right direction, I basically know that the robot barn, the staff out there have done what we wanted them to do. And then if there's a hiccup, you can dig into a service report that will indicate it, the problems coming from this robot or those two robots or this pen or whatever. And then we have already, hopefully, our, our service tech guy has been out there and identified that problem and he's got it on it and he's fixing it. You know, everybody's carrying an app on their phone. Uh, that means that we're all constantly getting the alarms of the issues that need to be dealt with. Uh, I'd actually turn them off at night because I want my staff to, to deal with the alarms and the problems themselves. Lots and lots of, of, of data points coming in. Again, knowing how much milk the cow gives, knowing how frequently she visits, targeting feed to her, her nutrient requirements, using activity for breeding out there, something we're very familiar with. Huge information out there. You know, box time is very important when you're trying to get to 75 cows per robot. So what I mean box time is if I can take a cow out of there that is taking 13 minutes to milk and replace her with two cows that milk in five minutes each, I can be much more efficient in that barn. Right, right. So what other types of data management are you using across the farms outside of the robots? How are you gathering additional or how are you utilizing technology to gather additional data? You know, so we use a lot of the things that people are familiar with. We use Dairy Comp, of course, is, is probably what we live and die by. But we've also got the Dell Pro, which is a, a, the Alta, or the, a De Laval version of Dell Pro. We've got Dairy Plan because we run a lot of gear equipment here. We're over 10 years now breeding cows from collars. We were very early on in the wave of people, I think back in 09, we put in our first collars or we had 09 and uh, we've been breeding cows pretty strictly on collars. In fact, one of our goals in the farm is to vastly reduce or even eliminate hormone use for breeding. And we know we can do that because last year, uh, in spite of no antibiotics on our farm, we were gold warder winners in the DCRC awards, so repo something that's very, very strong on the farm. Uh, camera systems are used on the farms. We've invested a huge amount of money in cameras. We don't really want to be using them to discipline staff. We quite often use them to praise staff, to say this is something we saw on the camera and this is something we really want to see you continue to do. And then we send our calves down to Kansas. We get a report on the arrival of those calves. We get a report on their three-day activity down there. So we can then start to see if we're doing something right or wrong on the farm. Monthly reports from Kansas on the performance of the animals there. They're weighed four times down there. Reproduction performance, death losses, so on and so forth. Uh, when you're managing 5,000 cattle 600 miles away, you need to have a way of, of measuring and reporting on that. And again, that goes back to our association with Alta, who do all the breeding on the farm. They provide us with a server report weekly, which is, a, again, a snapshot 
of how the farm performed last week and and is there early trends that show some problems coming up? Are we starting to see a, a change in how things are going? And then one of the ones that's really interesting is that we're using Kenthus. I don't know if the, the listeners are familiar with Kenthus is an Irish company. And basically we got 140 cameras over the feed alleys in one of our dairies. And they are measuring the feeding time for the cows, uh, the push-up times for the guys pushing up the feed, the clean-out times, the delivery times of the feed going in and out of the cows. As the uh, feed left at one end of the alley and, and eaten up at the other end of the alley, is there something we can do with ventilation to make that better? Uh, it's a very interesting program. It's, uh, I think it's going to have a lot more possibilities as we get further into this program, but it's using uh, artificial intelligence to just monitor how cows eat and how we deliver feed. Uh, again, like lots of farms, bi-weekly nutritional meetings, a lot of data from feed analysis and making action reports. I don't think a nutritionist meeting is of any use if you don't decide to do something. Just having your nutritionist come in every week and telling you're doing well is probably not my style of farming. I want them to challenge us and, and us to challenge them. And one very, very simple one here, Katie. It was brought to us by an employee that came to us here. He asked us, why don't we use WhatsApp on the farm? And we started using WhatsApp on the farm probably two years ago. And I could honestly say we probably run the farm with WhatsApp today because picture speaks a thousand words, video speaks even more. Uh, as we know, all of our employees have an iPhone or a smartphone in their pocket. And some of our very good employees, we have found out, are actually not that literate, aren't that, uh, but they're very capable of sending us a video and, uh, or a picture. And uh, with Translate, we've all got Translates on our phones. So we do things like changes in schedules, reporting breakages, uh, reporting repairs. Uh, reporting deliveries of where things are. We'll see through WhatsApp where people are using WhatsApp to find somebody to cover a shift for them if they're not able to, to make it to their shift. It's something that you know we sometimes have to put in rules that it's not to be used to degrade an employee or to make fun of an employee that say broke something. Uh, but it's, a, it's an excellent tool and something I'd highly recommend to our listeners to consider, uh, especially with the language barrier many of us have. And then early alarm systems, you know, on milk cooling, on our well system, on our fuel system, on our feed delivery system, everything that we can get an early alarm about saves us a ton of money, a ton of time. And then a little simple one we're looked at lately is we're using drones to fly our silage piles and uh, measure how much feeds in each of our piles and uh, we're using that for inventory and that's been extremely accurate accurate within one percent of what we actually have there so so those are the sort of things we're doing you know lots and lots of ideas i'm probably not even remembering them all today Katie. do you think there's ever going to be a time where there will just be one central platform we can use to consolidate all of those pieces for more efficient management or or do you think we're going to always be in this space of you know we need one program for this one program for this one program for this 
Unfortunately, I think we always are because uh, I don't know uh, the rest of our listeners. Uh, we know that Valley Ag Software don't like talking to anybody really, you know, and uh, especially when you start getting into rivals that are are doing similar things or have got a better version of the same thing. I think it's inevitable that you're going to have to have different versions of different ideas, you know. But again, there are some really, really smart people out there that that love technology. I look at some of the alarm systems that we have built and, and we have a really good, clever young guy here that does them for us. And I basically give him my problem and he comes up with a solution for it. And sometimes the solution is too expensive and it's just not viable to to spend that much money on that system. But sometimes it is really an, an, a viable option to do that. So uh, I guess I would recommend that, you know, particularly with ransomware, we've had that act, uh, happen us here and the problems that because to have a dairy farm and not have a good IT guy or a good understanding of what you're trying to do and have, have common goals is it's very risky. Yep. So how do you think the data and technology space will continue to shape the dairy industry moving forward? Well, I would say you just have to look back 10 years, you know, and see where we've come from and realize that probably we're going to be that far forward in the next three years. It's going to be driven by the labor shortage uh, and the desire to work different. You know, we certainly see in our robot barn that it's probably a sought after position on the farm because it's by no means is it easy work running 1500 cows out there with two people. And I should probably explain that, that that's those people don't feed a cow. They don't breed a cow. They don't really move a cow. They just keep those 1500 cows going in and out of the robots, you know, with a little help from our herd team on, on vaccination and treatments and so on and so forth. So it's going to be driven by that. It's also going to be driven, I think, by the consumer's desire and demand to know more about their food supply. I've been to Europe a lot of times. I was in Europe three weeks ago. Uh, most of Europe now has got like cameras and slaughter plants and in layerage yards and so on and so forth. And the supermarkets are driving this demand by the consumer to make sure that everything that is in the food supply is on the up and up. Uh, the cost of labor is going to be an issue. You know, we can... We can borrow money here in agriculture for, say, 4%. Uh, so we can borrow a million dollars for 40 grand a year. And that's not a big wage, you know. So if we can find a piece of equipment or technology that can replace a person, in theory, we can give a million dollars for it and uh, still make it a, bus a business decision that makes sense. And I guess, you know, our imagination is a limiting factor. Uh, the technology will come if we ask and demand for it because there's there's weight lever people out there that can provide this uh, this technology. And I think that comes from, you know, anyone that's worked around robots, don't think for one moment that they built a robot to milk a cow. They already had robotics and, and uh, pneumatics and stuff in place. They just adapted it to milk a cow. So uh, we're not reinventing the wheel. And uh, so those are the things that, that I think are going to shape it. Did you want to know what we're looking at, Kitty? Or... I absolutely do. And I actually, I think it's really fun that you mentioned that the customer demand is one of the pieces that'll 
shape or continue to move that forward because Aiden Connolly was on the podcast this past spring and mentioned a similar concept of in the egg tech space, like that's where he sees it going. So it's it's interesting to see hear you say something similar. Yeah, and you know, you know, early on when we talked about my career in agriculture, I, or dairy farming in particular, has introduced me to some extremely intelligent and bright young people and uh, some great people. Aidan was one of those people I highly admire for his involvement in agriculture, his his forward thinking. But what we're looking at, you know, going forward is. Uh, we've been looking into needless injection, you know, using compressed air to do our vaccination of cows. Uh, I think it's something that is some public probably demands in the future. Uh, and uh, we've been looking into that, uh, pricing it. Cow comfort, again, is always something. And uh, right now we're actually doing a three-day pour of all the dairy cows on the farm for their uh, external parasites. And uh, we're looking at using the cow brushes actually to deliver that product so that we won't actually have to do it, you know. And then possible systems, you know, we've done a lot of work with a, a local guy that flies drones and he's flown fields first for two years. We're trying to build a database to see is there a way we can measure feed on the fields because we buy an awful lot of feed from local crop farmers and we think there's enough technology there and it's going to teach itself enough that we could probably make a reasonable good stab at saying with flying a field that that's going to be worth X amount of dollars per acre and we don't have to weigh it or measure it. We just take it and, and know that we're pretty close, you know? So that's good. Again, systems to link our, our trucks and our waste scale to our feed watch program. We've invested money in that and we have invested enough money. So we've kind of got a hybrid system that doesn't work. So sometimes you've got to bite the bullet and spend the, the right amount of money. And then the one that's really catching my eyes, I have had meetings with it when I was back in the UK three, four weeks ago, is a system called Cattleye. And it's using artificial intelligence to track cow mobility. So you'll actually put cameras over your return lanes and it will track the cow either by her RFID or by her markings on her back. It will track this cow and it will be fit to pick up uh, changes in her mobility uh, that are probably hardly detectable by the human eye and will give you early indication of lameness uh, on that cow. And the early research that I have seen done on it is, is really, really encouraging, you know, because we're tracking mobility in cows in increments of four, whereas this is, is going to be fit to track it in increments of 99. You know, that same technology the research I was looking on it and farmer in the UK that's using it uh, for body conditioning, again, picking up things that, you know, certainly your nutritionist is not going to pick up visiting the farm every two weeks. It's going to give you body conditions, changes in your herd and your fresh cows that are, are very, very good and very exciting for, you know, trying to get cows bred earlier because you got them into a more energy positive position than you thought. So, so those are the sort of things. Again, there's there's so much out there. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it all goes. Yep. I think that's right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Those are some amazing technology pieces that I have never heard of. So that's going to be fun to watch them come down the pipeline and hopefully get across the ocean to to us. And you know, if you put them in, let us know and we'll we'll chat again. But 
Uh, I got to say, thank you so much, Rodney, for spending some time with us on The Dairy Show. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, call her a day for today? I think that we have hosted a lot of groups through our robotic barn and and continue to do that. Uh, We had Lake Area Technical Institute, which is in Watertown, 20 miles from us, been voted at two of the last four years, the best two-year college in the United States. You know, wonderful robotic program in there. And just seeing the faces on these young kids to see an implication of where a robot is actually milking a, a mammal, you know, and the cows moving around and how that could be, how that could actually be achieved. And uh, as an industry, we got to open our minds uh, and say that uh, you know, maybe the best person to run our farm in the future is probably not going to be the guy who knows a good cow from a bad cow, but it's the guy who knows how to get the technology that will pick out the problem cows from the non-problem cows and how to get the most efficient amount of milk produced with the labor force that we have or with the resources that we have. So I think technology is 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 destined to be a driver in the future for our, our industry. I think that sums it up perfectly. Well, again, thank you so much, Rodney, for being a part of the podcast today. Okay. Thank you, Kitty. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. And again, a special thank you to the sponsor of this episode, NeedApp. Please talk to your milking equipment supplier or genetic consultant about sourcing activity monitors powered by NeedApp. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 